Warning, this episode contains brain food that will lead to improved emotional and social intelligence. Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven media that promotes well-being from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights diverse trendsetters and change agents who are the greatest contemporary thinkers and doers, devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology expert, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in optimal lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Thanks for joining us on today's show, where you will learn about sound sleep and sacred rest, how to restore your sanity and sustain a healthy lifestyle. My first guest is Dr. Meyer Krieger, who first appeared on the show in September of 2017. And let's go to the conversation and learn about where sleep medicine is headed. My first guest is Dr. Meyer Krieger, who is a professor of medicine at Yale School of Medicine, who has been treating patients with sleep disorders for more than 40 years. He described the first case of sleep apnea in North America. He is chief editor of the most widely used textbook in sleep medicine, The Principles and Practice of Sleep Medicine, now in its sixth edition, as well as The Atlas of Clinical Sleep Medicine. His new book, The Mystery of Sleep, is geared to the public and was recently published in March of 2017. Welcome, Dr. Krieger. Oh, it's great to chat with you. It's great to chat with you because this is a very serious subject. Sleep is serious. And so many of us are sleep deprived. Talk about the effects of it on society as a whole. Well, in North America, the average person only sleeps about six and a half hours and people need to sleep between seven and nine. And there are so many things that go wrong if you don't sleep enough that I could spend an hour sort of outlining them. So the data right now suggests that if you don't sleep enough, your brain won't work properly. You won't be able to make great decisions. You'll be impulsive. You're going to be irritable. And you may even have symptoms of, of mental disorders like depression. And so that's one type of abnormality that occurs when people don't sleep enough. The other types of abnormalities we're only beginning to understand now is that people that don't sleep enough live less long than people that sleep the normal amount. And we don't know all the reasons yet. There may be an increase in cardiovascular disease, for example, uh, and there may be uh, an increase in obesity, for example. We know that people who uh, don't sleep enough, they, they become overweight. They, their hormones change in such a way that they eat more and they don't stop when they're full. So there are many, many things that go wrong when people are sleep deprived. Wow. And I also want to touch upon, you spoke of decision making. And I mm -hmm. think of all of us um, that are piloting our cars, planes, trains, boats, etc., that are running around sleep deprived and how that impacts our ability to execute those tasks safely. Well, we know, for example, that if you don't sleep enough, your reaction time is decreased. And the worst case scenario of that is, is people have episodes of what we call micro sleep. Sleep is such a powerful um, thing that if you don't get enough of it, your brain is going is, is, is to intrude on your wakefulness. And so people will have these micro sleeps. And during these micro sleeps, you're basically blind. You're not reacting to your environment. So obviously that would be catastrophic if someone were, uh, for example, uh, uh, a pilot or somebody was driving a, a, a locomotive or something like that. So we really worry about brain function in someone who's sleep deprived. And a lot of the people who are commandeering these large transportation systems are sleep deprived. Their uh, their their circadian rhythms are off because they're operating on opposite opposite schedules of what their body would be normally used to. I would imagine that this is a, a real risk. Oh, it, it it is a huge risk, and there have been a very large number of 
of really important accidents uh, that have occurred as a result of sleep deprivation. Uh, you'll remember a couple of years ago, there was an airplane that crashed that was going from, I think it was New York to uh, Buffalo, New York, and the plane crashed and both the pilot and the co-pilot were both severely sleep deprived and they were making, as they were landing, they were making really uh, big mistakes. Yeah, very, very frightening. And if you scale that down to the individual level and how we operate in our lives, I think it's more important than ever to focus on sleep, sleep issues, and how to help people get a more restful sleep. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely critical. It really is. And you said that um, I think the statistic is more than 30 percent of adults have some kind of sleep disorder. Yeah, it's probably a, a yeah, and and depending on whether or not you include chronic sleep deprivation, I mean, since the average American only sleeps six and a half hours, it's probably safe to say that that maybe fifty percent of the population has a sleep uh, problem, some of which is voluntary. In other words, if you voluntarily restrict yourself because of your lifestyle or some um, some belief that you may have, uh, some people still believe. That sleep is a waste of time, um, and 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 which drives me as a doctor crazy. Um, but um, the number is somewhere between thirty and fifty percent. Amazing, amazing, and you know I think that these handheld devices that we are all so in love with and addicted to also are playing a role in the disruption of our sleep at night. Yes, um, we see that. A lot in in teenagers and and people in their early twenties. Many people now go to sleep with their hands clutching their smartphone, and <laughs> and 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 it's it, and it's really uh, you know if it weren't pathetic, it would be funny. And we've actually seen um, in in our sleep lab when we studied some young people who were having sleep issues. They're they're in bed, they're clutching their phone, and in the middle of the night, they text and they interact with other people and God knows what else uh, they're actually doing. And the next morning, they have no recollection of it. And and yet they have been doing stuff. I I remember a patient I had a couple of years ago who actually was buying stuff on the web in the middle of the night and had, you know, until the stuff got delivered... She didn't even realize she had ordered anything in the middle of the night. That is frightening. That is truly frightening. And and, and I know that a lot of these newer phones have a setting on them where you can switch the light from sort of that blue cold light to a warmer glowing light. It'll automatically switch over at, at, at sunset, which makes it a little less stimulating. Is that what's happening? That's absolutely correct. Blue light uh, has a, a, an effect on reducing the production of melatonin, which is a hormone in the brain that's involved in sleep and circadian rhythms. And, and the blue light is, is, is therefore stimulating. And so these, these uh, programs, you can actually get the program not just for uh, your smartphone, but you can actually get them for your laptop and you can get them for your desktop as well. And they change the color so that it's less of this stimulating blue color. But the bottom line is there needs to be a time in our day when we know when to say when, right? When we, when we power down in order to have good sleep hygiene, to get ourselves to a place where we can switch over and catch that delicious wave of sleep, it, it needs to kind of be a process, right? We don't well, just like go to sleep. Yeah, it needs to be a process. And the only way the process is going to happen is that if people make sleep a priority, in other words, you can't um, look at it as something that you do after you've done everything else. If you're sleepy and you're tired and it's time for you to be in bed, you need to go to bed. And, and people need to stop thinking about sleep as a waste of time. Yeah. So, no, sleep is not a waste of time. Sleep is can be a really good hobby. <laughs> you know what I mean? It could be yeah. really good. Really good. We're going to need to take a break in a minute. But before we do, I want to bring up um, perhaps a little known fact to the layperson, and that is that women have more sleep issues than men. So listen up, ladies. Well, they certainly do. 
uh, and they have more sleep problems their entire life from the time they're teenagers um, until they're in their 80s and 90s. And uh, we can probably talk about that in more detail uh, in, in the next segment. But just to give you a preview, um, um, women, for example, during the reproductive years, they have periods. And when they have periods, uh, their hormone levels go up and down. They have an effect on sleep. Uh, when they become pregnant, tremendous effect on sleep. And we can talk about that. And menopause, tremendous effect on sleep. And as and as people get older, women, uh, for example, get diseases that interfere with their sleep as well. So these are all important topics that uh, we'll probably cover in a little while. Oh, I would like to very much because I'm feeling like I'm doomed. You know, I'm like, yep. I've experienced that everything that you said about the different phases of life, that sleep interruption. And, you know, when we come back, I'd also like to give a couple of solutions, very simple solutions that we can help people out with to learn more about the work of Dr. Mayer Krieger. Please visit www.kriegerbooks.com on Twitter. You can find him at MH Krieger and that's K R Y G E R. And on Facebook, Meyer Mayer hyphen Krieger hyphen books. And the title of the book that we're talking about today is The Mystery of Sleep, Why a Good Night's Rest is Vital to a Better, Healthier Life. Hang on just a minute. Before we go to the break, I want to talk with you about self-care and wellness. Being in shape to maintain good health and fitness as I age is one of my happy passions. But getting and staying in shape isn't just about losing weight, and it's not always easy. But today's sponsor, Noom, has come to save the day. As the years have passed, a little padding has appeared on my perimeter, along with those hormonal changes that indicate that time is marching on. Call it menopause or menopause if you're a guy. Yes, menopause is a thing. You know what I'm talking about. What if you could use one program for all your health and weight loss needs? No more hunting for apps, workouts, calorie trackers, or meal plans. Noom is not a diet. Noom is a habit-changing solution that helps users learn to develop a new relationship with food through personalized courses and coaching. Noom is psychology-based and teaches us why we do the things we do and equips us with the toolkit needed to break bad habits and replace them with better ones all through the power of technology at your fingertips. Noom even has an app for on-the-go, no-excuses engagement. And what I love most about Noom is the live connection with a real human goal specialist and the Noom community for motivation and accountability in my weight loss goals. It's like having a virtual wellness advocate and workout buddy all in one place. One thing I know for sure is that small and steady daily steps eventually leads to big change. And right now, listeners of the show can sign up for a complimentary trial at noom.com slash happiness. Are you ready to make some changes? Invest 10 minutes a day in creating a better you by visiting noom.com slash happiness to start your trial today. Get started on your wellness goals at noom.com slash happiness. Now here comes that pause. We'll be right back. To learn more about cultivating sustainable well-being at home and the office, visit HarvestingHappiness.com and explore Lisa's experiential on-site brain fitness workshops, corporate programming, and speaking engagement services. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness. If you're just joining us now, we are talking about sound sleep and sacred rest, how to restore your sanity and sustain a healthy lifestyle. Returning to the conversation, which originally was broadcast in September of 2017 with Dr. Meyer Krieger. So, Dr. Krieger, before the break, we were talking about um, women and sleep issues and how women have more of them than men. Um, I myself have, have experienced this at various points in my life. So uh, w- what is this about? Hormones? It's about just gender plague? I don't know. What well, is it? it? It's about many factors. And basically, it's about a woman's life. And part of her life is biologic. During the reproductive years, every month, sex hormones go up and down. And they have an effect on the brain and they can interfere with sleep. When a woman becomes pregnant, as pregnancy goes from first, second to third trimester, sleep becomes worse and worse and worse and can actually be a huge problem. And some women during pregnancy will actually develop disorders 
of sleep. Uh, for example, they may develop sleep apnea, a condition where people stop breathing. They may develop something called restless leg syndrome, where they have this irresistible urge to move their, their legs. And there's now even data that suggests that women who are pregnant, who are having preeclampsia, actually have a sleep breathing disorder. And there's a lot of exciting research going on in that area right now. And of course, menopause uh, results in hot flashes, night sweats. They interfere with sleep. Um, and as women get older and older, they develop diseases like diabetes. They develop um, arthritis. And all of these are also associated with very poor sleep. So sleep is an issue for women in their entire life for biologic reasons. There are other things that happen to a woman's life. She's the caregiver. In most families, uh, she's the last person to go to bed at night. She's the first person to get up in the morning to get everybody off to school and, and work and so forth. And for many women, when they finally send their kids off to college, that's when all of a sudden they're taking care of their own parents. And, mm -hmm. and so that is, that is a huge uh, issue that we see later on. So lifestyle ends up being a, also a, a big contributor to a woman's um, abnormalities in sleep. So what is the solution? Many people out there will have the proverbial cocktail or they'll have a sleeping pill before bed or they I mean, you, you made a joke during the break that I'm from California. My people might have a smoke a little pot before before they sleep. That is ultimately not a solution or um, a, a, a healthy long term management plan. What is yeah. So so basically, if some all of us are born with the ability to sleep normally, we all have, uh, you know, we all have the neurological connections to allow us to sleep normally. And taking sleeping pills does not solve a problem if someone has uh, difficulty sleeping. It's just sort of, uh, you know, it's like a Band-Aid over over a problem. So they're not the solution. Alcohol is not a solution because, in fact, alcohol can have very negative effects on sleep, both acutely and chronically. Many people, for example, will realize when they take alcohol at bedtime, sure, they'll, they'll fall asleep faster. On the other hand, they'll wake up in two, three, four hours and then have a lot of trouble falling asleep again. And, and that kind of pattern leads to ultimate dependency on alcohol. And the same thing might be true of something like marijuana uh, that people may use to relax in order to, to uh, fall asleep quicker. But there's the possibility of becoming psychologically dependent on doing that to fall asleep. And so that is never uh, a, a really good idea. So what can a person do? The first thing that a person needs to do is to basically make their sleep a priority. In other words, when it's when you're tired and it's time to go to bed, start to work on that. And if there are, if if someone, uh, for example, who reads a book about sleep or does all the things, the millions of things that are on the internet to try to sleep better, if they don't work, there may be help out there in the form of what we call cognitive behavioral therapy. And cognitive behavioral therapy is done by psychologists usually who's trained in sleep, and they use various methods, for example, uh, mindfulness, um, teaching people mindfulness uh, has become very popular in the past few years, and also some other techniques which, which I actually review in my book. But the, the issue is if you can't fall asleep, you should probably seek help. You, you have your brain can, has everything it needs to fall asleep, but there may be some psychological issue or some other issue or even a mental disorder that is preventing you from falling asleep. And you speak about mental disorder. I would love to touch upon, I, I mean, I call it a chicken or the egg cycle with um, the relationship between sleep deprivation and depression and mm -hmm. which comes first, because I'm not so sure we really know, right? Well, um, it, we, we actually, what we do know is depression can lead to abnormal sleep. We also know that abnormal sleep has been associated later on 
with the development of depression. And there was a very nice research study that was done years ago that looked at medical students and they were followed for like 40 years. And the ones that had very poor sleep initially had a much higher rate of de- of developing depression. So there is this chicken and egg phenomenon going on. And it's quite possible that we need to treat both in order to solve the person's sleep problem. Having said all that, some of the medications that are used to treat depression can actually worsen sleep. And that's mm-hmm. something that that people need to be aware of, that some of these medications may actually make someone sleepy or can prevent them from falling asleep or can actually give them what looks like restless leg syndrome. So there are a lot of things when we think about depression and sleep, uh, there are a lot of things that need to be dealt with. And, you know, it's interesting. I, I work quite a bit in addiction recovery, and most of my clients, when they come in for treatment in the early phases, they will be given a prescribed sleep medication to get them over the hump. And then mm-hmm. what, what happens is that is almost like a rebound effect for many of them where then sleep becomes a problem and they, and they can never get enough. And they're walking yeah. around like feeling as though they're zombies. Yeah, yeah. And and I've seen that clinically. Um, ironically, most of the patients that we see in a sleep clinic who, you know, who are having trouble sleeping, they come, they're already on sleeping pills. And, and, and what they want is they want to come off of the sleeping pills. And you're, you're absolutely right. What ends up happening is, is somebody prescribes a sleeping pill to someone because some acute event. So uh, I can recall a very specific uh, case that I had a few years ago. And this was a, a woman who had been on, on medications for 40 years to help her sleep. And it turned out that the medication that she was on was a very powerful antipsychotic medication. It was used uh, for schizophrenia. And she didn't have schizophrenia. And uh, whoever ordered it, ordered it and told her that she needed to take it. And she, being a good patient, listened to the doctor. And the irony was all of her subsequent doctors simply kept on refilling the prescription. And so wow. if someone is taking a medication, uh, no matter what it is, they need to ask their doctor, why am I taking this? And when can I come off of this if I can come off of this? Because too many patients are started on sleeping pills and they never come off. It's true. And and they're also told that you know, you need this for sleep and therefore the, the patient or the client feels that this is part of the routine and therefore the brain now believes it too. Yeah, yeah. And that's a very, very powerful thing because the brain starts to make associations. Just like someone, uh, for example, uh, is is very anxious when they get into bed, uh, eventually they start to associate their bed with not sleeping. And so the, the human brain, actually, every, every animal's brain is really good at making associations. Um, and so if you start to associate your bed with bad sleep or a pill with good sleep, you're kind of conditioned. Uh, psychologists will call that a conditioned reflex. Yeah. It's a learned, you know, it's a learned behavior. And so the psychologists that do cognitive behavioral therapy, that's what they work on. In all of the research I've done and the sleep experts that I've interviewed, everybody comes to say the same thing, that the bedroom is, is good for two things, sleeping and sex. Yeah. That's yeah, it. I mean, and, and that's absolutely true. However, uh, these same experts probably never lived in Manhattan. <laughs> where, where um, you know, where, you know, the person's one room is, is you know, it's a bathroom, it's, it's a living room, it's a kitchen, it's a bedroom. It's and an office. They're all, it's an office and, you know, the, the computer's there. Uh, I have seen these bedrooms and, and uh, the reality is, is that the bedroom in those kinds of situations is actually the person's office. And, and, you know, and, and the, the, every person creates their own sleep environment. So if you're in that kind of a, a, of environment, what you need to do is to kind of create a cocoon. Okay. I'm going to turn off all my devices. I'm going to turn off my fax machine. I'm going to get rid of my landline for the night. I'll just take the phone off the hook or something like that. 
In other words, people need to pay attention to these things because, you know what, if you don't get that call at night, so what? You know, exactly. It's, it, it's, it's never all that important. Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned the cocoon. In in, in other words, we're steady, setting the stage. You know, we're yeah. creating a landscape that is hospitable to sending signals to the brain. Okay, it's time to transition from day life to to rest. Yeah, yeah. Critically it, important. Really important. What about melatonin? You mentioned um, the effects of melatonin on the brain. What about those of us that occasionally have sleep challenges that we go and get from the health food store, a chewable, you know, melatonin, melatonin tablet. Yeah. So melatonin in the, in the United States is problematic because um, it's not a regulator product. Uh, it's an over the counter product. So it's available grocery stores, drug stores, you name it, 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 it. It's available at, you know, Walmarts and Costco's and whatever. And so the, the, the grade of the product that you get is problematic. In many other countries, it's actually pharmaceutical grade. So you, you know what you're getting and you know what the dosage is and whatever. So the, uh, we like to use melatonin in some patients because your brain produces it. And there's there was literature a few years ago where as you get older, your brain doesn't produce as much melatonin. So we will sometimes recommend that uh, if someone is having uh, some difficulty for a few nights. It's a fairly safe uh, compound because, you, you know, your brain produces it. The dosage that we use is generally fairly small. So uh, we're not too concerned about the use of melatonin. Melatonin is most effective. However, not as a sleeping pill, but as a pill or a medication to help reset your circadian rhythm. Oh. Uh, and that's the, the most powerful effect of that medication. Will you come back and talk more with me about sleep hygiene and how to help people have a better night's sleep? Sure. I would really love that. I think that we would be doing a great service to give people some tools and, and simple interventions to help them have a more restful, restful night's sleep. We're out of time. And I've been speaking with Dr. Mayer Krieger about his book, The Mystery of Sleep, Why a Good Night's Rest is Vital to a Better, Healthier Life. To learn more, please visit KriegerBooks.com, on Twitter at M-H Krieger, and that's K-R-Y-G-E-R, and on Facebook, Mayer-Krieger-Books. Thank you, Dr. Krieger. Oh, thank you very much. And here comes the break. We'll be right back. Did you know that happiness is actually good for your health? Happy people live longer, are more productive, and make better partners, parents, and professionals. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness. And follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. back. If you're just tuning in now, we are talking about sound sleep and sacred rest, how to restore your sanity and sustain a healthy lifestyle. And I urge you to download and share this episode with those you love because it's kind, free, legal, available 24-7. And we're talking really about how sleep plays such an important role in our overall well-being and performance. My next guest is Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith, and this episode originally aired in April of 2018. My guest today is Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith. She is an author, speaker, and board-certified physician. Dr. Sandra has an active medical practice in Alabama. She received her BS in biochemistry at the University of Georgia and graduated with honors from Mahari Medical College in Nashville. She has been an adjunct faculty member at Baker College and Davenport University in Michigan, where she teaches courses on health, nutrition, and disease progression. Dr. Dalton Smith is a national and international media resource on the mind-body-spirit connection and a top 100 medical expert in Good Housekeeping's Doctor's Secrets. Welcome, Dr. Sandra Dalton Smith. Today, we're talking about your newest book, Sacred Rest, Recover Your Life, Renew Your Energy, Restore Your Sanity. Welcome. Hi, Lisa. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you. Let's talk about sacred rest. 
Rest seems like a very simple process, but there's a distinction between sleep and rest. Talk a little bit about the two. Well, that's the thing. Rest does seem like it should be simple, but if it's so simple, why are so many people struggling with it? Why why are so many of us spending our day and our time tired and exhausted? And I believe the reason for that is not just simply sleep deprivation, because we hear a lot about sleep, but we hear very little about rest. And sleep is not rest. They're completely different activities. But I believe that we have to learn how to rest better in order to sleep better. Define what rest means or what it looks like. Give us an example. Well, to me, rest is when we're restoring what we deplete. So every day we're depleting different things in our lives. And it really depends on the activities that we find ourselves doing. So, for example, a counselor is not physically very active. They're pouring out more from their emotional and their social reserves. Whereas someone who has a manual job, their body is being physically used throughout the day. So if I was telling a counselor that they need to rest more, I'm not necessarily telling them they need to sit and take naps or do a massage. What they're needing to do are the spirit, the social and the emotional type rest activities that will restore the areas where they're depleting. Whereas that person who's physically active, I would tell them they probably do need to focus more on things like active, low range active exercise to get their body flowing and their muscles relaxed. So what I think I hear you saying is giving the parts of the body, albeit if you're a counselor or somebody who's using your brain hard to give the brain a rest and occupy the the rest of the body with other activities that give that brain some cooling off. Conversely, if you're using your body a lot, that you give your body a little bit of a time out and exercise your mind more. That's exactly right. It's a it's a trade-off because so often what happens is our body, our mind, and our spirit get out of balance because we spend so much time in our day-to-day activities doing usually the same things over and over again. That's our that's our career for the most part. There's something that you do on a regular basis and you're constantly pouring out into that area of your life. The problem is when we look at rest, we don't look at it as if we need to restore what we're depleting. We look at it as this singular issue where everything is encompassed in doing restful activities. But if you do the wrong type of rest, you'll still be tired and you'll still feel exhausted and unhappy. In your book, Sacred Rest, you describe seven types of rest. Can you can you share those with us? The seven types of rest are physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, social, sensory, and creative. And those are really just from my own experience when I was going through the process of burnout and and very unhappy just with the the way my life was going, which was interesting because, you know, I'm a physician. So I spent a great part of my life in school training for a career that I thought I wanted. And when I got there, I was so unhappy in it that I had to start looking at what is it about this that's making me unhappy and it's because I was just so drained. I, I had pour, I was pouring out into areas and I thought I was getting the rest I needed, but I couldn't I couldn't have been because if I was if I was getting the rest I needed, I shouldn't have been tired all the time. Well, you make uh, some interesting points in, in areas that are a, a bit more subtle than many of us might typically think of as rest. The, the social rest. So when we talk about social rest for for some of us, it is being social you know, because we're so engaged in our careers that we're out of balance, or for those of us who are overly social and active and always in the public, that it's it's the retreat from social, right? So it could work either in either direction. Mm-hmm. That's true. And when I look at social rest, the, what I like people to recognize is when you think about rest, always think about restoration, because whatever the rest is, for it to be beneficial for you, there has to be something that's being restored something that's being poured in that you pour out. And so for a lot of people, social rest is starts with recognizing those relationships which revive you from those which drain you because there are pe- everyone in your life is either taking or giving something to you. Um, and a lot of times we don't recognize that because they're just the people in our circle. But there are some people who being around them automatically will make you feel better because those are the people who are pouring back into your life. 
And then there are those people who, whether they mean to or not, are pulling from you because you are the energy that they they need. You're the motivation and the the person that they come to. <laughs> You're their provider. So they're pulling from you. And so it's it's important to recognize that because you need to make time for those people who revive you just as much as you do for those people who who pull from you. I think you make a very good point. We all have experienced the energy vampire, right? The one that just sucks the life out of us when we're in his or her presence. Mm-hmm. And the the other side is, uh, like you say, some people are givers of energy. There's some people that you walk into their orbit and you feel like you have been replenished just by their presence. Absolutely. And the thing is, the people who have a tendency to drain us are the ones who are, the, are likely to call you first because they're needing something you have. And it's not that they're being selfish. It's just the nature of relationships. They need something you have. So they're the first ones to call you. Those people that you that revive you, they're the ones who are more likely being overlooked because yeah. we kind of tend to put them on the back burner for, for when we have time to get to them. Interesting. Yeah, I I can see how that happens. Your work has been featured in Women's Day, Red Book, and First for Women magazine. Um, I I think you uh, regularly contribute to these periodicals. And what kinds of stories have you learned from readers who have connected with you? I think the the biggest thing I've seen is that women as a whole, we look at rest as this thing we're going to do when we have time. We're so busy being moms or CEOs or we're homeschooling or we're in the boardroom. It, and what I find is it really doesn't matter what, what the platform is. We have a tendency to keep piling things up on our plate without ever taking a, a moment to taste the, the good things that are before us. So we've become excellent at producing and we've become very pitiful <laughs> at consuming the goodness we produce. And yeah. it leads to an it leads to a lot of unhappiness, um, lifestyle unhappiness, because we're we're so driven to produce and we become, I always give the analogy of the mosquito and the bee. You know, they're both pretty much doing the same thing. They're buzzing around and they're busy. One we see as annoying because they they don't really produce anything. Mosquitoes don't produce, they just keep irritating. Bees we see as more productive because there's sweetness that comes from what they what they spend their time toiling in. But if we just keep producing sweetness in our lives and we never taste it, what's the benefit? <laughs> well, I'm thinking of the mosquito, the, literally the bloodsucker, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to take a break in a minute. But before we go, I want to um, share with our listeners that in your book, um, the, the sacred rest, you've got a rest quiz. Talk quickly about that rest quiz before we jump off to the break. Well, I think it's important to know what type of rest it is you really need. So as we talked about, like with someone who's very physical in their job or someone who is using more of their social or emotional reserves, the rest quiz helps you decide. Sometimes it's not so cut and dry. You know, some careers, you're using a bit of everything to, to be creative and to be productive. So taking the rest quiz, it's, it's a comprehensive opportunity to find out which type of rest are you excelling at and which types do you need to really spend more time focusing on. And the book we're talking about today with Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith is Sacred Rest, Recover Your Life, Renew Your Energy, and restore your sanity. To learn more, please visit her website at www.ichoosemybestlife.com. On Twitter, she can be found at Dr. Dalton Smith. And on Facebook, that page is Dr. Sandra Dalton Smith. And here comes that break. We'll be right back. Who says money can't buy happiness? Whether you are a skeptic or seeker, check out Lisa's new book, Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life. A boot camp manual for greater emotional fitness is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Here's a truth bomb. Emotions are contagious, and happiness is a universally desired state. But we tend to forget that we all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstances. Explore the journey of human happiness 
how to find it and keep it with Lisa's documentary film, H Factor. Where is your heart? Visit HarvestingHappiness.com to learn more. Welcome back to the show. If you're just joining us now, we are talking about sound sleep and sacred rest with my guest, Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith. This episode originally aired in April of 2018. Let's go back to the conversation. Dr. Sandra, tell us about what rest means in the books. You spoke about the seven types of rest, but what does rest stand for? In the book, I break it down into four sections. So for each of the seven types of rest we just discussed, I take each one and I look at recognizing your rest. That's the first R. And then we evaluate your current position so that you can determine really where you're at on your rest spectrum. Then I start going into the science and the research so that we can kind of take into consideration what the latest research is saying about that particular type of rest. And then the last thing is is a today's application so that for each of the seven types of rest, Someone can read through that chapter. They'll know what their risk is. They'll see where their current position's at. They'll get an understanding for the science and research. And then they'll be able to take away some tips on what they can do that day to try to get more of that particular type of rest. So when we talk about the science of rest or the science behind rest, we're not talking solely about sleep. We're talking about what goes on in our bodies and our brains when we're in a restful state. Can you share a little bit about that? Why and why it's so good for us? The brain is so active. So I'm going to take one particular type of rest to describe that so that we can kind of just pick it apart because for each of the seven types of rest, I go through that, the science and research. One of the types of rest we don't talk about very much is sensory rest. And so what sensory rest is, everyone knows they have five senses. We don't always understand or or really appreciate the endless onslaught of, of sensory input that we're receiving on a daily basis. I mean, just someone who's sitting listening right now, they're feeling their clothes against their body. They might feel some tension in their muscles or their back somewhere from where something's touching them in a way that's uncomfortable. There are smells in the room from perfume your coworkers might be wearing or the hairspray that you have on. There's <laughs> lights from your computer or your iPhone. There's constant sensory input. And that constant input, we don't really take into account the effect it has on us scientifically, biologically. We don't take into account what is that doing to us. But then when we get ready to go to bed at nighttime, we, we have these images flashing in our head and our mind and we get we feel uncomfortable and we can't find the right position. And we're trying to we're, we're trying to take ourselves out of this constant sensory input stage into a constant into a, a automatic sensory shutdown. And the body doesn't work like that. There, there's a transition that has to occur really for you to get from that point of ongoing input to being at that calm, restful state that takes us into the non-REM and ultimately the REM sleep that we desire. So is what you're saying that we need this sort of powering down period and that the that that state of going from sensory overload to removing those um, those stressors to then going through a process to power the, the mind down to be in that state that's receptive to rest and ultimately sleep. Yes. And I believe that's that's the disconnect so many of us have. We want we try to go from our full power, full on lives to high quality sleep. And we refuse to walk through that bridge of rest to get from one to the other. And that rest can be as simple as maybe coming home from work, maybe having a, a walk around your neighborhood, transitioning into making a, a meal together with your family. So you get involved in conversation and bonding. And it's sort of the process of moving from the busy life to the quiet life to sleep. Absolutely. And that that takes into account a lot of those seven pieces. For example, the emotional aspect of it, just as you mentioned, being around people where you don't feel the need to people please or to be inauthentic. 
you know, we all have our personal professional personas when we're at work. When you get home and when you're around the people who you know accept you as is, you know, with your ponytail and no makeup, those are the people that we want to be able to let our hair down literally and, and be able to relax with. And you want to be able to have face-to-face time with them, not time through a text message or, you know, an email blast with your family, to, uh, but actually face-to-face time. When we put our electronics down and we dim the lights a little bit, we light some candles and we go outside for a walk. And we take that time before we go to bed to clear our mental space, to not ruminate over the things we wish we had done or wish we'd said, but we actually let our mind go to that quiet spot where we can then kind of be more receptive to easing into a calm state of mind, body, and spirit. Let's talk for a minute about the value of exercise in enabling us to rest. Because oftentimes I see clients in my practice who will say, I'm depressed, I, I have insomnia. I, I I don't know what to do, and I'm going crazy. And there's uh, there's there's some truth to that. There is some truth to that. Um, what I find is sometimes people when they think of exercise, there's there's your physical aerobic. You know, I'm trying to stay healthy and get my cardiovascular energy level and all of that stabilized. And then there's a type of exercise that is more restorative in nature. It does a greater job at just restoring circulation in the body so that your cells that are designed to come in and fight for you on your behalf can do their job. So I think that's first first thing. So both exercises are necessary, but so often we we get into this mindset that one will take away the other. So the type of exercise that like if I, if I go out and I'm running, you know, a five mile run at a, at a steady pace where I'm huffing and puffing, that's a bit of a physical stress on the body. It's good stress and it's needed because you need to have that bit of stress just for your physical health. But then there needs to be a time at the end of that where I'm just walking at a leisure walk and I'm not trying to beat the person in front of me and I'm just enjoying the process of moving my body without having a specific, you know, mental goal of trying to reach something. So exercise has to have kind of two components to it, that component where it becomes almost a spiritual thing and not just this physical activity that I'm doing. What about creativity? You mentioned that being one of the forms of rest. And I think this one is often unspoken when we talk with when we talk with clients and when we speak about feeling rested and fulfilled in our lives. Talk about that. For me, creative rest is about experiencing beauty and allowing beauty and awe to inspire us and to liberate us for to wonder and imagine and to to be open to to receive ideas. And so often with creative rest, a, a large portion of it is connecting with with God on a deeper level so that we start looking at things as as everything is created into in, in some um, level of creation, and so that we can can gain motivation and inspiration from that. I think that's a lot of the science actually shows. That's why so many people feel feel energized when they're around bodies of water, because we look at that and it's so magnificent, and the ocean's so expansive. And when we see that, there's a bit of awe and wonder that occurs. Same thing when you're at the Grand Canyon or at you know, some beautiful natural occurrence, a waterfall, there's a bit of awe and wonder. And it makes you think not just about kind of your tiny bubble that we live in, but just kind of the the, the big picture. So the, the creativity component in your view is not um, the creativity that comes from making, although for some people, they may experience that spiritual connection when they are making something they're they're crafting. But what you're talking about is the is the creativity is is the big picture in the in the universe. Well, not just that, because uh, some people get the same experience around beautiful music. So it's all created things, whether they're man-made or God-made. It's mm. all created things. Because I've walked into museums where I've seen artwork that literally gives me chills. <laughs> so it's it's the appreciation of ha- of, of the created. And I think the, what ends up happening is when we get around those types of situation, it does cause us to want to create because it awakens something in us. It awakens that, that, that awe and it inspires us. And that's why I say it oftentimes liberates wonder 
And it liberates us to be able to then be open to create. I think so many people feel they're not creative because they haven't allowed themselves to, to open to the possibility that it doesn't have to look like someone else did it. It doesn't have to fit some mold. It can look however it comes out. If you're creating art or music, there there's standards that we've placed on it just because, you know, it's something that's it's a commodity now that's sold. But that doesn't mean that what you create is not beautiful to you. Talk a bit more about the connection uh, between spirituality and well-being, because there there is a significant amount of research that is being done today about what happens to our brains when we are engaged in spiritual practice. That's one of the biggest areas that I feel really kind of pulled me into this topic on rest. One of the recent studies I'd read was talking about how things like prayer and meditation, that that those experiences, when they did MRI brain wave activity, it was as if we were actually talking to someone that was directly in front of us. And so that those spiritual experiences were actually creating within our mind the same type of communication pathways that get created when we talk to, like I'm talking to you right now, the same type of memories and creative pathways, the same type of memories as if I'm sitting by my husband and having a, an intimate conversation, those same pathways get created. And when you think about the power of that, it's very easy to see how someone who may feel misunderstood or, or may feel as mm-hmm. if insecure in some way, that having that type of conversation would open their mind up into a whole different way of seeing, you know what, I, I'm valuable. I'm valuable enough that God is having a conversation with me. I'm not sure how much more value we can get in this world. <laughs> yeah, so, so, and, and that it's not just this, this out there kind of thing, but it is creating something inside of me. It is creating memory synapses in my brain. It is creating a space that is being occupied with that relationship. We are out of time. Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith, thank you for being on the show. To learn more about her latest book, Sacred Rest, Recover Your Life, Renew Your Energy, and Restore Your Sanity, please visit her website at ichoosemybestlife.com. On Twitter, you can connect at Dr. Dalton-Smith. And on Facebook, that page is Dr. Sandra Dalton Smith. Dr. Sandra, thank you for sharing with us today. What you provide is so valuable. The value of rest for our mind, body, spirit, emotion, and ultimately our health and well-being. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness today. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guests, Dr. Meyer Krieger and Dr. Sandra Dalton Smith, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime and anywhere from the comfort of wherever you are. Subscribe, listen, and share hundreds of downloadable episodes via our free app or from our libraries at toginet.com, iTunes, Google Play, and other fine podcast platforms. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit harvestinghappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness is produced in collaboration with TogiNet Radio, KBUU Radio Malibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.